And, you know, when I was younger, um, I had a job for several years, and in that job, I would do what my boss told me to do or what they wanted me to do, so I would do what was right, but I didn't really have a loyal heart for the place that I worked for, and, and even a loyal heart towards my boss. I, unfortunately, at that time when I was young, uh, would, you know, kind of join in with the guys and criticizing the boss and the place that I worked, and the Lord later on in my life would convict me of that, but doing right uh, was good, but my heart wasn't loyal towards that place. It, it can happen in ministry. It can happen to us as Christians that we can do what is right before the Lord, but really is our heart loyal to the Lord. And you see, in the gospel narratives, we see that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that they prided themselves in doing what was right, but their hearts really weren't loyal to the Lord. And of course, Jesus came along and rebuked them. We know that as we looked at Jehoshaphat just a couple of weeks ago in his reign, he was one that not only did what was right before the Lord, but he had a heart towards the Lord. He delighted, the scripture says, in keeping the commandments of God and delighted in walking in the ways of the Lord. So Jehoshaphat had a real devotion to the Lord. He had a loyalty to the Lord. And of course, it was his father that was told that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart are what? Loyal towards him. So what the Lord is looking for is more than just action uh, and doing what is right, but he wants devotion. He wants us to be able to have in our hearts a devotion and a love and a loyalty to him. And that's important because it comes down to a heart issue. Well, in our text tonight, as we begin to read about Amaziah, we see that in chapter 25, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And verse 2 tells us that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. So we see this is the case with Amaziah that is on the scene, that, that he was one that, that did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but his heart wasn't towards the Lord. It was lukewarm uh, towards the Lord. And we're going to see that his heart is going to be given over to other things as we continue here in this chapter. And that's one of the, the lessons that we see very clearly, not only in this chapter, but throughout the scriptures, that whatever your heart words at and in your devotion in your heart, it will eventually be worked out. You can do what is right in a certain way, but wherever your loyalty is and your love and your devotion towards someone or something, that eventually is going to show in your life. And that's going to be the case here for Amaziah. It was a case for his father. You recall last week in the previous chapter that Joash had a really remarkable story that we looked at. He was king when he was only seven years old. And the reason was is because it was his uncle, Jehoiada the priest, that hid him in the temple in his first, first six years because Athaliah, uh, she took over the throne. She's trying to destroy all the descendants of David. And so this one who had the rightful uh, you know, uh, heir to the throne of David uh, was hidden for six years. When he was seven years old, of course, we saw the event that took place as he would become the king and Athaliah would end up being executed. And it was Joash in his youth 
as he was being mentored and, and greatly influenced uh, by Jehoiada, who was a godly king, would reinstitute the sacrificial uh, system. He would uh, be one that would repair the temple that was in disarray, and he would make a recommitment to the Lord and have the nation to do that. But over time, something happened. You see, his heart wasn't loyal to the Lord either because after the death of Jehoiada, what we saw was that Joash began to entertain those things that were false. He began to listen to evil counsel. And it was the son of Jehoiada, Zechariah, that came to the king and said, listen, you've forsaken the Lord. You have allowed evil to come back into the land. You are not right towards the Lord. And it ended up that Joash had that prophet stone. So Joash ended up being killed, and we see here that his son, Amaziah, ends up being king. And he's a lot like his dad in that he did what was right initially, but pretty soon that disloyalty to the Lord is going to show up in his life. And we read in, in verse 3, as we continue to read about um, Amaziah, that now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father the king. And however, he did not execute their children, but did as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying that the fathers shall not be, uh, the fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. You and I, that we are responsible for our own sin. And here we know that he is trying to do what is right, follow what, the, the, what Moses had written there in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 16. And it would take real courage for Amaziah really to do this because the custom was that if you executed somebody, you would usually execute all of the family, especially if it dealt with trying to overthrow the, the throne, the, the king. And the reason that they did that, so there wouldn't be any revenge, there wouldn't be any threat to the, to the new king that was on the throne. So Amaziah, he ends up executing, rounding up these guys that were responsible for the death of his father, but he does not execute all of their families. And again, as we see that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, um, not taking revenge on all of the family, uh, showing real courage here as he follows after the Lord. I want to remind this again at this time in our study that it does take real courage to walk in obedience to the Lord today. And all throughout the scriptures, we are told as Christians and as believers that we're to be strong and of good courage, right? We're to be strong and of good courage. Joshua, you be strong and of good courage. But he wasn't the only man of faith that was told that. All throughout the scriptures, you see that those who were used of the Lord and uh, those who walked with the Lord closely and in his ways were always commanded to be strong and good courage. And then as you go to the New Testament, we're told the same thing. And you are not going to be courageous unless you're strong in the Lord. You see, it does take real courage to walk in the ways of the Lord, especially in the day in which we're living in. Because people are going to look at you and me, and they're going to come against us, and they're going to make fun of us. And, and there are times where people will come down on us. But here's the thing. You are not going to be courageous unless you are strong. 
And you and I need to be strong in the Lord. And how do we become strong in the Lord? We have a devotion to the Lord. We're growing in the Word of God. We're growing in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That we are ones that we're trusting and resting in Him. That's how we become strong. You become strong by every day that you're just walking closely to the Lord and with the Lord. That, that you are looking to Him. You're growing in your love and relationship and fellowship with Him. It's a daily thing. Being strong in the Lord. Growing in the Word. Uh, just yielding to the Spirit of God that is working in your life. So here is Amazai. He starts out well. He, he's walking in obedience. He's doing what is right. In, in verse 5, moreover, Amazai gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their fathers' houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. So he's gathering the troops. 300,000 uh, troops that can handle spears, a, a large number uh, for you know, Judah to be able to put together. And he's going to prepare himself uh, to go to war. And we read that in verse 6, he also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God will make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. So we see that here is Amaziah. He's about ready to, to go to war against the Edomites. The Edomites, of course, were uh, descendants of Esau. You know who Esau was. He was the twin brother of Jacob. And we read about in the book of Genesis. And Esau would settle in that area just east of the Dead Sea. And the Edomites were always a thorn to the side of, of Judah. And here we see that for some reason, Amaziah is gathering his troops, 300,000 from Judah. He wants to go to war against the Edomites. But also what he does is remember at this time that the nation is split. There's the 10 northern tribes called the House of Israel up north that First and Second Chronicles doesn't really spend time talking about, just making mention of some of those kings, which we'll see one of them's going to be mentioned in this chapter. But the ten northern tribes, as you know, 19 kings, all of them were idol worshipers. The house of Israel was just a mess. From the time of Jeroboam, the first king uh, that was reigning right after the death of Solomon, clear up until the time that they would go off into captivity in about 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And so the house of Israel, here we see that there's 100,000 soldiers that Amaziah wants to hire to come fight against the Edomites. They're 100,000 mercenaries. They're, they're valiant men. They're, they're warriors. And they're going to help the king of Judah here in this war. And the prophet comes and he tells uh, the king from, uh, of Judah that don't go to war with these guys. Don't be yoked with these guys because the house of Israel, or that is the house of Ephraim. Ephraim is another name for the ten northern tribes. They have not been right with God. And if you do use them and you go to war against the Edomites, you're going to fail and you're going to be defeated. And again, it's that principle that we've talked about 
even with Jehoshaphat, that the scripture tells us that as believers, we're not to be uh, yoked together with unbelievers. And we need to be careful of that. And we talked about that quite extensively, how it was Jehoshaphat who was a godly king, but he did not always use wisdom and discernment. And what he did is he yoked himself to the house of Israel in marriage. And that's what brought all that mess that we talked about with Athaliah and, and all of you know, the line of David <coughs> excuse me, being put to death. So here is the prophet saying, listen, don't do this, Amaziah. Don't go to war with these guys. You need to send them home. In verse 9, then Amaziah said to the man of God, what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Important principle here. And may we never forget it. Obedience is going to cost. You know that it was Jesus that said, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to count the cost. And you and I who walk with the Lord and desire to be strong of good courage in the Lord, that there's going to be some cost. It may cost you relationship with friends. It may cost you relationships with family members. A lot of you have that testimony, how your family has held you out at arm's length, no longer wants anything to do with you because you're a Christian. And it brings hurt, doesn't it? And, and, and it brings concern. Uh, it may cost you in your business that you, you have and, and um, people not wanting to deal with you. It may cost you in your job not getting that promotion because you're a Christian. So there is a cost in some way as we become believers, but I want us to always remember this. It is cheaper than disobedience. It will be more costly to go ahead with the disobedience. So whatever obedience costs, it is cheaper than disobedience. I'm going to say that again, that whatever obedience costs, it is cheaper than disobedience. Because what will happen with disobedience, and we're going to see that here in a little bit, is terrible consequences and repercussions that will happen to you and to me. It will be very, very costly. So don't, you know, worry about the money that you gave to these mercenaries. God is going to take care of you, and God is going to provide for you, is what he is told. So verse 10, Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. And therefore their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. And then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to the Valley of Salt. The Valley of Salt <clears throat> is over there by the, the Dead Sea and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. And also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive and brought them to the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock so that they were all dashed in pieces. But for as the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon, killed 3,000 in them, and took much spoil. So Amaziah, he ends up going to battle. He has victory, but a couple things to note here. Verse 10, we see that he was very brutal, wasn't he? Takes 10,000. He has them go off the cliff in that area. They're very mountainous and, and very rocky. So there's brutality that he is showing here. 
But then in verse 13, the mercenaries that he had dismissed from Israel, you see, they got paid. It wasn't that they said, oh, that's great. We got paid for doing nothing. We're just going to go back to Israel. You see, the real pay, the, the real reward was when you went to battle with somebody and you got to share in with the spoils. So they're upset that they don't get to, to get in with the spoils and defeating the Edomites. We're missing out. So what they decide to do with the Maaziah and all his troops going against the Edomites, we're going to go through the cities of Judah and we're going to plunder them. We're going to kill people and we'll get the spoils that way. So that's what's taken place. And we're going to see as a result the response of Amaziah to Israel because that happened. But here is this victory that, that takes place over the Edomites, but yet Judah ends up uh, experiencing um, these 100,000 guys going through and, and, and robbing them and, and taking the spoils <coughs> excuse me, from the cities of, um, of Judah. And um, one of the things that, as I mentioned to you at the beginning of the study, is, um, again, we see Amaziah. He did what was right. He was loyal, not loyal to the Lord. And as I mentioned to you, what is in your heart will be worked out in your life. And now as we go into verse 14, we're going to see really uh, his loyalty, how uh, his loyalty is going to be worked out in that he is going to forsake the Lord. We're going to see what is in his heart, how that is really worked out in his life, how it's revealed in his life. Let's begin to look at that in verse 14. So they had victory over the Edomites. Uh, in verse 14, now it was so after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. And therefore the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah. And he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? So it was that as he talked with him, that the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? And then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. You can see now the evidence that he wasn't loyal towards the Lord. You can see that as he defeats the Edomites here, as we read, that he takes the gods of the Edomites and he begins to burn incense to them and he begins to worship them. And when you read this and when you look at this, you think how foolish for him to do that. Why would Amaziah do this? Why would he worship those gods of the Edomites who couldn't even save, you know, the Edomites? And it's really foolishness when you think about it. And all throughout the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, and particularly in the Old Testament, when you read the books of the prophets, they would come to the nation of Israel, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, when they were involved in idol worship, and they would talk about the foolishness of worship idols. Those idols are not going to help you. Remember the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you into the land, who has done such marvelous works, who saved you from the Egyptians, who has given you this land and saved you from your enemies. Why are you turning to that which cannot help you? And not one instance or example can you find in the Old Testament where those idols, where those false gods helped God's people in their time of distress and turmoil and difficulty. There are no help at all. And that's what the prophet here is saying. 
Amaziah, why would you turn to the gods of the Edomites that those gods couldn't even help the Edomites? What good is it? It's foolishness. It's futile. And that's a message that was given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, a message that was ignored, so eventually they would end up going off into captivity, as I mentioned, the house of Israel by the Assyrians, and then eventually the house of Judah by the Babylonians. We need to be careful as well. Because whatever has priority over our devotion and love to the Lord ends up being an idol in our life. It might be possessions, it might be our bank account, uh, it might be our own strength and intellect or togetherness. There are all kinds of idols that we can have, but what is it that any of us turn to in our hour of need? Is it the Lord? Are we trusting in Him? Are we looking to Him? Who made you the king's counselor to come and tell us that we can't do this? And I pray and hope that we would always remember that there is one wonderful counselor, and that is the Lord in his word. And the sufficiency of God's word given to us, the truth of God's word, for us to be able to know that he is there and he is faithful to his word. And he desires to work when we find ourselves in distress or difficulties or going through challenges, whatever it might be for you and for me. I pray that we wouldn't turn to that, which is foolishness and not, cannot help us. So there's different idols that we can set up in our lives. Anything that has priority over our relationship and closeness and devotion uh, and love to the Lord ends up being an idol in our own lives. So this message is given. It's ignored by Amaziah. And so what happens as, after they defeat the the Edomites, and he bows down to these false gods, and he's warned. Well, we see in verse 17, Now Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Verse 19, Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home. Now, why should you meddle with trouble, that you should fall, you and Judah, with you? But Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give them into the hands of their enemies, because they sought the gods of Edom. And so Joash, verse 21, of Israel went out, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, and faced one another, Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beth Shemesh, and he brought him to Jerusalem, broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver and the articles that were found in the house of God, with Obed-Edom, the treasures of the king's house, and hostages, and returned to Samaria. So this is what happens. Amaziah, he sends a message to the king of Israel. He's upset because these 100,000 mercenaries from Israel go through his cities and plunder the cities and kill 3,000 people. So he sends a message here to Joash, the king of Israel at this time. Hey, let's go to battle. Let's get it on. <clears throat> let's, let's go to war. 
And we see that Joash sends a message back to the king of Judah, Amaziah. Joash gives him a parable. Essentially, why would a little thistle, this little plant, tell a big cedar tree what to do? You're prideful. <clears throat> you're, you're puffed up. You are one that uh, is going to get trampled on, just as a beast is going to eventually come along and trample on that thistle. So enjoy your victory over the Edomites. Stay at home. Why should you meddle to your own hurt? Well, Mahaziah, he ignores that. He goes to war. He ends up being defeated there at Beth Shemesh. Now, Beth Shemesh is an interesting place. <clears throat> Just north of, of Israel, there in the Samaritan Mountains. And it ended up, Beth Shemesh, being one of the cities of the Decapolis during Jesus' day. When you, you uh, read the Gospels, there's a mention of Decapolis, and there were ten cities of the Decapolis that you can go and see some of the ruins of some of them. Some of them were over, today is Jordan, a uh, few in Syria. There was one just north of Jerusalem called Beth Shemesh. And you can go through the ruins today, and it's very fascinating to see the big pillars uh, that the Rome had set up along the streets and uh, the amphitheater. and um, all. It was a magnificent city is what it was when it was one of the cities of the Decapolis. And what happened was an earthquake came along and destroyed that city. So you get, when you go to Israel with us, uh, we walk through the ruins of Beth Shemesh. That is one of the cities of the Decapolis. But also in the Old Testament here, it was one of the cities that was right on the border of Judah in Israel. It was the city, Beth Shemesh, that we read about. You recall the first king of Israel, Saul. And he, at the end of 1 Samuel, <clears throat> went to war against the Philistines. And the Philistines killed Saul and his sons and on Mount Gilboa. And what they did is they took the bodies of Jonathan and Saul and they pinned them on the wall of Beth Shemesh. So you can go to the ancient city to tell there and you can walk up and you can look and you see Mount Gilboa. Uh, you look at the little stream behind you, and that's where the stream where Gideon and his men in the book of Judges drank from and had victory over the Edomites. Uh, you're looking at the ancient city, uh, the capitalist city of Beth Shemesh. It's a very fascinating place. So this is where this war takes place at Beth Shemesh, and Judah ends up being defeated. Uh, we see that uh, Amaziah ends up being captured, and, and that's what takes place here. So there's important things here that as we cover this text that I want to just spend a few minutes on that I think is really worth noting and, and, and really considering here tonight. Amaziah, you're lifted up, you're prideful. The reason that he wants to go to war is because of pride. We know that God here is moving against Amaziah because he had worshipped the gods of the Edomites, but he becomes prideful. And stay at home, enjoy your victory, but why would you meddle to your own hurt? And the important principle and consideration tonight for you and for me is here we see that Amaziah, that he meddled to his own hurt militarily, and he ended up being captured and ended up being defeated and ended up going down in disgrace, and they ended up getting plundered. We see that happening in the text here that 
at Beth Shemesh, it was great, terrible consequences for the house of Judah. But for you and for me, we can learn here tonight that we need to make sure that we're not meddling to our own hurts spiritually, thinking that we're more stronger spiritually than we really are. You see, as Christians, you and I don't want to meddle to our own hurt. Hey, there, there's this place that I can go to. I can be a part of this activity. I can listen to this or watch this. And what we are doing is meddling to our own hurt. And we need to understand as Christians that there are certain places that we shouldn't really be. There are certain things we shouldn't be watching. There are certain activities that we should not be involved in. There are certain individuals that we should not be hanging out with. And sometimes we can think, I'm stronger than I really am spiritually. I can handle it, but what we're doing is meddling to our own hurt. And the reason here is, number one, pride. We begin to puff ourselves up. We think, hey, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be just fine. Uh, Everything would be good. And we know that what happened here is that Amaziah ended up experiencing terrible consequences. So we need to be careful not to be meddling to our own hurt. And as he did that, we see what can happen to you and to me if we're meddling to our own hurt spiritually. You see, the result of meddling to our own hurt is, first of all, we experience defeat. Amaziah, he was defeated, and not only defeated, but he was disgraced. He was defeated in verse 22, and then every man fled to his tent. That means that they would flee. It it talks about disgrace. We know that pride, the the proverb says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But do you know also that pride uh, is told of us what happens in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, that pride results in shame. We don't always remember that verse in Proverbs 11. That pride will bring shame. And if we are meddling to our own hurt, that is, that you're hanging out in places that you shouldn't be hanging out, or you're watching things that you shouldn't be watching, or you're participating in activities that you shouldn't be, that you know bring sin and compromise, you think, I can handle it, it'll be okay, it will bring defeat to you spiritually. There are Christians that I talk to that they say, I just feel defeated all the time because they're meddling to their own hurt. They end up being involved in things and participating in things and hanging out in places that they shouldn't be. And so wonder they feel defeated. The Lord has brought his victory through Jesus Christ, and we are free, and we have victory. But we can end up meddling to our own hurt that brings defeat and disgrace and shame to us because we end up meddling to our hurt and doing things that we shouldn't be doing because we're not being wise and discerning. So the result of meddling to your own hurt, there's, first of all, defeat. There is uh, disgrace that happens. Second of all, in verse 23, that we see that they were held captive, taken capture. Joash did of Amaziah, and you will be held captive. Do you realize, and I know we've talked a lot about this, that that's what sin does. It holds us captive. We'll be in bondage. 
Sometimes people think if I get involved in sin or live a carnal life, you see, I just want to be free. I want to just be free to do whatever it is that I want to do. Living in God's grace means that you're free to live for Him. It means that you and I are free from all the deception and the junk and the bondage of the world. We don't have to get involved in the deception of the world. We are free to live for Jesus Christ. We are free from the deception. We are free from the bondage. The freest people are those who live for Jesus Christ. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if you want to really be free in the best sense of the word, then you follow after the Lord and live for Him. But if you live after carnality, if you meddle to your own hurt, you're in places that you shouldn't be, you will find yourselves being held captive and in bondage to it. That's what sin brings. And that's what happened to Maaziah. Thirdly, not only does it bring defeat, second of all, captivity, bondage, but you will be broken down. We know in verse 23 again that the walls were broken down at Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. That's what pride does, doesn't it? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And if we are one that we're meddling to our own hurt because we're prideful, we're boasting, we're thinking we're more spiritually strong than we really are, It won't be long. There's going to be a thud. And you're going to crash and burn. I have talked to many people that said, you know, I thought I could handle this. I thought that if I went with the guys after work and we went to the bars and, you know, I could be a witness to them. I could share with them. I'll just go in there. I'm not really going to drink. I'm not really going to, you know, do anything of that. I want to share with them. And they end up meddling to their own hurt. And what happens is they come out of that place smelling like booze, being polluted by all the conversation and the music. And I've known those that ended up doing something that they ended up regretting. And terrible consequences that happen that follow after that. They were prideful in thinking that I can handle this, I, I can do this. But they were meddling to their own hurt. And we need to always be ones that be careful that, Lord, I want to make sure that I have some parameters around me that I'm not doing that, that I don't think I'm stronger than I really am, not being prideful, um, not thinking that, that, you know, I'm stronger than I really am. You remember that um, we know that pride is a very terrible sin. It's what caused Lucifer to fall to become Satan, right? <clears throat> You remember in Luke's gospel that the disciples went out two by two. And as they went out two by two, they came back and they're excited. They said, we work miracles. We, we, we cast out demons. We even raised the dead. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And when I first read that as a Christian, I thought, well, that's kind of a weird response. You would think that Jesus would be excited. That's cool. That's all right. Great. Super. But I believe Jesus said that is because you guys... He was saying to his disciples, you better be careful. It was pride that caused Lucifer to fall to the earth and don't become prideful because God is using you. Unfortunately, I have known guys even in ministry 
and even one that I didn't know personally last week, but he was well-known in ministry, that he ended up falling because he was meddling to his own hurt. And it happens over time that I've known guys that all of a sudden they thought that I can handle this, and they get involved in a relationship that they shouldn't, uh, a sinful relationship, and it starts slow, and pretty soon they're messing around with it, and they're flirting with it, and pretty soon here comes the crash. Here comes the crash. And it ends up that there's, they're being cast down. It ends up that they lose their ministry. They're meddling to their own hurt because there was pride in thinking that they were stronger than they really were. Well, in verse 24, the fourth thing that we see here, the result of meddling to your own hurt can be plundered. We see that they took all the gold and silver from the house of the Lord. Do you realize that the enemy wants to rob you? He wants to cheat you. He wants to take from you. And I have seen that people have lost a lot because they meddled to their own hurt and they ended up sinning. There is forgiveness from the Lord, but there's also repercussions and consequences. And going back to, to seeing guys that have been in ministry, I've seen them lose their ministry, their families, their reputations because of sin, because they meddled to their own hurt. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to trick you. He wants to cause you to be, you know, lazy and lethargic spiritually, to to lull you to sleep. He desires to deceive you. He wants to take from you and rob you. And you can lose so much. At least... Meddling to your own hurt, you're going to lose your joy and you're going to lose your peace and you're going to lose your freedom. But there have been those who have lost a whole lot more than that. And then fifthly, we see here in verse 25, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from the first to the last indeed are they not written in the book of the king's of Judah and Israel. And after the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. And they fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. And they brought him on horses and buried him and his fathers to the city of Judah. That is the city of David. Lastly, fifthly, finally, you meddle to your own hurt, it's going to bring death. your spiritual life will begin to just begin the smell of death, take on death. It'll begin to die. It'll begin to die. Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the church at Rome, he said in chapter 8, verse 6, I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's worth mentioning. He said something very simple but very true. He said to be carnally minded is death. And to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you're carnally minded, if I'm carnally minded, that we're going after that pleasure, we're going after that pursuit of the world, it's going to bring death to us. Solomon was one that, as we looked at his life going through 
Second Chronicles, they had great wealth, didn't he? I mean, think about Solomon. He wore golden sandals, didn't he? He ruled during the time when there was much gold, and Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines. He had knowledge. He had wisdom. He had exotic animals that were brought in from Ophir, and, and the wine was flowing. The feasts were all the time, the daily provisions. He had these, you know, uh, huge parties. People from all over came to him. He was known. He had the fame, the prestige. He had everything. There was no more for Solomon to have. He had horses, all these stables around the head, all these horses. He had anything that anybody could ever want. There was no more women to have. There was no more fame to have. There was no more investment to make. There was no more fame to have. He had it all. And what does he say? He says it's all vanity. It's all vanity. Trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment and peace and life in those things you're not going to find. So he writes in the scriptures, Ecclesiastes, and he says, this is the sum of it all. Fear God and follow him. And Solomon, who had it all, realized to be carnally minded is death. It'll just bring death to you spiritually. So 2,000 years later, Paul the Apostle, he writes something very simple for you and me to remember, that if you're going to pursue carnal things or be carnal, if you're going to go after the things of the world, your life and your spiritual life will begin to just have a stench of death. But be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I think that all of you are here tonight because you want to experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. The way that the Lord would have us to live life, and that is a life of real joy and peace and to follow after Him and have a peace that passes understanding and to just be able to have true fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives. It comes by being spiritually minded. It's not going to be found in the world because the world will hold you in bondage. The world will cast you down. The world will end up defeating you. And the world will end up robbing you. And to be carnally minded will bring death. And my hope and prayer now is we come to the communion table here tonight. We're going in here tonight at chapter 25. Is that there is anything in your life that is going on that where the Lord has been dealing with you. You're meddling to your own hurt. You know that there's compromise. There is sin. You know that the Lord has been convicting you is because he loves you. And he wants you to experience life and peace He wants you to experience that abundant life that he has for you. So as we go tonight, remember what Jesus has done for you when you hold those elements. And then anything that you are doing, participating in, hanging out with or watching, that you're meddling to your own hurt, will you give it to the Lord? He loves you so much. And confess it and turn away from it so that you truly will be free and that you truly will have victory, and that you truly will be free, and that you truly will experience life and peace, and set your mind on the things above, and have a loyal heart towards the Lord. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this word given to us here tonight.
And now as we come to the communion table, Lord, what my prayer is that truly, is, as Paul would say, examine your heart to see if you're in the faith. And Lord, that we would be, that our trust and faith is in you. That there wouldn't be other gods before us. <clears throat> it may be a person, it may be possessions, it may be our bank account, it may be whatever, a hobby. But Lord, that you truly are the priority and devotion of our life. And Father, as we come to the communion table here tonight, there wouldn't just be a, a, another time of, of taking of the elements, but really, if there's anyone here tonight that perhaps, first of all, if there's anybody here that hasn't come to faith in Jesus Christ, that you would do that, consider that. That Jesus is the one that came to bring you life to save you because sin has brought a death sentence to, to us. We've all sinned, separated from God. But Jesus died for you in place of you, for you, and took all your sins upon himself on Calvary's cross. And he died for your sins to make atonement. He was buried and he rose again. And that's what communion is about. It's remembering what Jesus did for us in this new covenant, allowing his body to be broken and bloodshed for the forgiveness of sin, is a covenant of faith and belief and love for the Lord. So coming to the communion table, if you're not a believer, <clears throat> doesn't mean anything. So if anybody here tonight, you've never truly given your heart to Jesus, will you do so tonight? Because the Lord wants to save you, and today is the day of salvation. It only comes through Jesus, through no one else or nothing else. And you come in faith, saying, Jesus, I believe you died for me on Calvary's cross. And I am a sinner, and I turn to you. Forgive me of my sins. And thank you for dying for me. And I believe that you rose from the grave, and you're alive. Be my personal Lord and Savior. My life is not my own. I now live for you. <clears throat> Thank you for hearing my prayer. And for us tonight, as we hold these communion elements, to realize that Jesus gave all for us so that we can live that abundant life. So if there's anything that's going on that we're meddling to our own hurt spiritually, we've seen the results of that. Lord, you want us to be free May we just give it to you tonight. You love us so much. You want us to be free from those things. And I pray that you would minister to the hearts of your people and give us the strength and the courage to live for you. So, Father, thank you for this time that we now have as we continue in worship and come into the communion table in Jesus' name. In the communion.